Blog Talk Radio.
regular radio show where I got better and better at doing it. So that's some of the personal power that I get from the commitments that I'm making in my life. Another really cool commitment that I'm thinking about lately is uh, I have a friend and she was talking about how her therapy bill is really expensive, and but she gets so much rewards from going to a therapist regularly. And I've always been a, a person that's used the therapy type scene, how you call it. Yeah, I've, I've always been, felt comfortable since I've been a teenager when it was first offered to me. Do you want to see a counselor? I was like, yeah. And that takes commitment because you want to, you want to show up regularly. And there's something about when you make an appointment and then you keep that appointment and there's an intention, I'm going to make an appointment to see someone to make sure I'm okay and to just check myself. So these are things I'm finding out that these are commitments and so rewarding. And it's funny. I was telling her, I was like, oh, I just go to a public health clinic and, and get the first the first counselor that anyone ever offers to me. And I, I've been so lucky. The two people that I've gotten at public health clinics are sort of like Buddhist background people who are real good listeners and not the type that um, don't say anything. I, I, they might just repeat something that I say to make me think it, think it over another time. So this is something that I just wanted to share with the audience that I found a lot of rewards from seeing a licensed counselor on a regular basis. At this point, um, I was like, yeah, I only have to pay $27 to see this licensed, fully qualified person who's, you know, knows how to uh, listen to someone talk for 40, 45 minutes. So if you'd like to call in, our call-in number is 646-929-2463. I'm not sure if you have to press 1 to be able to be placed in the queue. There is a prompt when you call the number. If you're listening as a podcast, don't worry. This is one of the reasons I I love doing the show, because people find it. They're listening to the stream, and then my show comes on, and they're like, this is not Susan Weed. Uh, who is this? And I was like, yeah, I'm just one of Susan's students or past student. I don't live on the same coast as Susan anymore. I recently moved out to the West, and um, I love it here. And I'm embarking on a brand-new commitment. And um, I may have an opportunity to purchase outright one acre of land. And I walked around the piece of land and I just fell in love with it, and I fell in love with the people who were offering it, and I like my neighbors, potential neighbors, if, if, if it happens that way. So it's a really wonderful um, news that I'm just treading humbly through, you know, the decision. I've been checking with some of my people in my life, and they're like, go for it, go for it. And what I'm just understanding that this is a commitment, that this is like bare land that I want to be good to and be a steward of. Right before the show um, started, I was thinking of one of the first times I ever met Ryan Drum at the Northwest Herbal uh, Gathering or Conference, the one that's on Whidbey Island. 
So I'll talk a little bit more about the Whidbey Island Herbal Conference later, but let me not get distracted. So Ryan Drum says, yeah, I own some land or I own the privilege to pay taxes on the land. So yeah, it's not like we really own it, but I've always been a lifelong renter. I've, I've lived briefly in a home where family had the actual ownership of it. So this is the first time that I've ever been autonomous, you know, this level of autonomy, you know, having legal protections to call someplace home and be able to stay there. And uh, renting has often brought in a lot of weird things where it's like, okay, I can't rent here anymore. And, um, and then living with family who own the property, that, that never lasts long. Uh, at least not in in adulthood. I've always wanted to just move on very quickly if I remember living with family. But it, it, the times that I could say I lived with my family as an adult, though, are really mostly pleasant. But I'm, I'm sure at the time I felt really uncomfortable doing it. So I've been thinking about the pragmatism that many people who may be hearing the show, um, you know, can do with some of the things that I'm talking about like oh yeah how much time do you have to garden and I'm thinking yeah there's so many people that they 80 80 hours of their week is occupied by um, all work for instance um, if you have a long commute even if you're only working an eight-hour work day sometimes it comes up to 12 13 hours a day just in leaving to go to work and coming back and I've been thinking a lot about that, that sometimes maybe, yeah, just purchasing your herbs and going to an herbalist and uh, finding out things. But I, I seem to be making time to do this all for myself. I want to grow my own oat straw someday. And what would, what would that take to be able to grow all my own oat straw that I use in an infusion? Um, yeah, would probably the, the drying um, – room that I would need would probably be pretty immense, but I'm not sure how, you know, how that would do, but th these are just dreams that I have. Yeah. How can I actually uh, grow and use all the oat straw that I have? Speaking of oat straw, there's this one herb company. And I used them about five years ago and they're SF herb company. So it's San Francisco herb company. And I just purchased some new oat straw from them, and I'm hoping that it's as good as the kind that I had like five or six years ago from them. And I um, think that there's some oats that y if, you, if you wait for them to turn yellow, they just seem a lot richer than the green oat straw. So that's what I'm hoping for, some of the yellow sort of. And then I've heard a lot of people talk about, oh, it's all about milky oats and making tinctures of milky oats. But I would, from, from my experience, I've had some oats that do have that milky, like oatmeal texture. So, um, yeah, so that oat straw is one of the herbs that I'm really into lately, and I find it so nourishing. And I like to eat oatmeal regularly. I should probably uh, eat it more. And most people I know say, yeah, I should probably eat oatmeal more. It's really good to add a lot of um, fruit and accoutrements to it. I like a lot of whole milk yogurt. But going back to um, making an infusion, 
you weigh one ounce of a dried herb that's non-aromatic, something like oat straw. And what I do is I'll put it in a quart canning, canning jar. And I'll always make sure that I weigh it on a scale. That way, every time that I'll make this infusion, it, it'll taste very similar. And um, I won't be wasting oats or the herb. I'll only be using enough that it will create a pretty strong um, quart of infusion. But these, uh, making an infusion from a dry herb every day would take a commitment. And I, I hear a lot of people, they're like, yeah, I just can't stay, stay on the, um, the path of um, making an, an herbal infusion every day. And um, I, I think it's not something, it's not a really long commitment to make. You know, try it for two weeks, I've heard. I think Susan say, yeah, try making a different herbal infusion every day for two weeks. You know, pick, up, pick two or three, pick four or five different non-aromatic herbs and go for it. If you don't have a quart canning jar, you can always just use a saucepan and a lid and let that s steep for a minimum of four hours or overnight. So that is my basis, my real foundation of, oh, yeah, I'm an herbalist. Yeah, yeah, I use these infusions every day. That totally makes me an herbalist. And I've often said, too, I'm not the type of person who meditates or sits on a, a pillow every day, but the time that I set aside to make the infusion and then in the morning time I'll usually strain it and put it back into a, a jar and refrigerate it, those moments uh, in the evening and in the morning, I, I, that is like me sitting on a pillow. It's sort of um, getting a real blankness. I'm, I'm just doing one thing and, and just being conscious of that. So I uh, picked a lot of topics to talk about tonight. I've only been talking for about 15 minutes, but maybe I, I want to take a break and before I pick the next topic. So I guess I'm going to mute and we'll see how this works. If um, people who are listening to it as a podcast will get the full five minute break or will I just be right back? Okay, I'm back. I think these five minute breaks are good because it gave me a clear uh, motive clear answer. What do I want to talk about next? So this, this summer I've enjoyed gardening and I love the Solanaceae plant family to actually grow and just um, nurture as garden plants. I had some beautiful heirloom tomatoes that were absolutely delicious last month and I had homemade uh, homegrown lettuce that was um, eaten with them and it was just just a great summer to have fresh tomatoes. I also was growing ceremony tobacco, uh, Nicotiana rustica, and I, I harvested mostly uh, uh, the seeds. I didn't get many leaves, but I, I do have some leaves. So I have a really nice supply of uh, wild tobacco, which is very high in nicotine, but I use it mostly as a snuff and uh, ceremony incense. My brand new plant that I've never grown before in the Solanaceae family is called Datura metil, 
Mattel probably. And I always assumed it was from India or Africa, but it's a new world uh, plant. And I'm reading a book right now called Indian Givers, How the Indians of the Americas Transformed the World. And it's from 1988. And it's just one of those books. I was like, where was I in 1988? I, I, this is a great book and it's very relevant. Indian Givers. And the author's name is Jack Weatherford. So that, not to get off too much, um, so this Datura Mattel plant uh, has long purple trumpet flowers. There were three of them on the one plant, and then there were three pods that appear after the flowers uh, droop and fall. And the, this morning, one of the pods, let me find the word. <laughs> oh, darn. I got to find the word. Okay, here it is. hiss. <laughs> to split along a natural line, also to discharge contents by so splitting seed pods to hissing at maturity. So yeah, one of my Datura Mattel pods to hissed this sometime in the past 24 hours, and it just like bursts. There's a picture of the, of my Datura Mattel pod on the uh, Blog Talk Radio. Um, site. If you're listening to this show with the web browser, you could see it in the slideshow in the audio player. So I wanted to share that with the audience of my adventures of Detura Mattel. And I was fooling around. I always love just like throwing in just real easy Google search and then finding people. What, what do you do? Okay, let's I put in Detura Mattel flying ointment, and it came up with uh, highexistence.com, some forum where someone was asking about making a flying ointment. So I'm gonna, I'll, let me go ahead and read this uh, thread. I think I read just the beginning, so I'll be reading it for the first time with you all. Hey, fellow psychonauts. I have some questions for you today about one of the least commonly used psychedelics, Detura backslash Jimson weed backslash devil's trumpet. FYI, this baby grows naturally in many places and has been used by shamans for centuries to achieve magical states. It is also the substance that was reportedly used by witches to fly, change into animal form, cast spells, etc. It's pretty damn interesting. More info, irawid.org, Detura. Uh, I recently found out that the best way to get Detura into your body is through a skin ointment. Since the skin does not absorb atropine or atropine, the, the chemical that makes ingesting large amounts of Detura very dangerous. The skin does, however, absorb scopolamine, which is what you're really after, happy sign. <laughs> Questions. Has anyone made this ointment before? And if so, could you share your recipe? This is one of the queries for which Google has failed me. So let's see when, when they were failing. Uh, so this is five years ago, 10 months. So Google wasn't really giving up the flying ointment five years ago. So let's hear their questions. Uh, their second questions, what were your experiences like? Okay, Manimal responds. One, I don't remember the recipe, unfortunately. Two, pure horror. First, there was this very crisp and clean feeling, 
time was slowing down, and then this creepy, unsettling feeling started to started emerging. Things felt incre- increasingly bad. Then weird shit started happening, reality warping and all that jazz. Then all sorts of creepy shit started popping up all over. Old zombie ladies, robo-spiders, crying demon children, that kind of shit. I actually had a fake death experience during the trip. One of the demon kids stabbed me and everything went black and I lost consciousness. <laughs> Two hours later, my then-girlfriend came home and found me hiding under the bed in a fetal position and couldn't get a response out of me. It's funny because when I lost consciousness, I was in the bathroom. The place wasn't a mess, too. I probably went berserk while I was unconscious. From what I understand, you're almost guaranteed a horror trip when you use Detura. I know a few people who have tried it and all this kind of trip. I was aware I tried. I've read about it on the Internet, and people were all saying you get bad trips. It was a horrible experience, but I'm glad I had it. There's so much to learn from it. (laughs) Maybe the trip is different if you don't ingest the atropine. I have no idea. So this person was sort of uh, responding to a question about making an uh, an ointment, saying this is what happened when I ate the the Torah seeds. So Jordan uh, is the next person who responds. So you ingested the seeds instead of using an ointment? Question mark. Yeah, the vast majority of recorded Torah experiences seem to be on the negative side. The feminine detour spirit is supposed to be one of the most elusive, intimidating, and devious. I've read that the preparation and the experience must be taken on with the utmost respect for her, or she will fuck you up, especially if you trip without a specific intention. Thank you, Jordan. Let's hear Eric's response. I heard marijuana backslash weed was made illegal partly because they confused or purposely said that marijuana is jimson weed. And yeah, I would not fuck with this. All the trip reports I've heard sound terrible. Okay, Manimal comes back into the thread. Jordan, I've tried both, but when I had the ointment applied, it was, it was a smaller dose and it was a guided session. So I don't know what, I don't, I don't know to what the differences should be credited, but both times were definitely very, quote, bad, unquote, trips. There's really no such thing as a negative trip. A trip is just a trip. It must be treated with respect, but so should all intensely mind-altering substances. It's funny about the detour. That Detour spirit, Lady Detour, because most people encounter an old woman entity present in the trip. To me, it was a welcoming old lady who turned out to be a skeleton with, with a skull full of maggots. It's funny because the whole vibe of the trip was, has that female temper tantrum quality. Mahakali comes to mind. The divine feminine punishes those who are unworthy and rewards the strong. I find that description very fitting to stuff like this. Respect and intention are definitely the key. After all, it's a lady we're dealing with. And like with any other lady, intention is crucial. If you do try Detura, you're guaranteed a mind-blowing experience, to say the very least. 
And if you do have one of those horror trips, you'll likely also find that you get this afterglow of fearlessness, a peace that lasts for a few weeks. I'm almost getting tempted to try it again. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so it turns out that Manimal uh, did try it both ways, and they found it a pretty uh, horrible, bad trip both ways. So there's a number of others. Let me go ahead and read some more. Yoinky says, I think you should talk to Thomas Chong. He recently told the story of his long detoura experience, which also sounds horrific. So Mr. Chong has a detoura story. Colton responds, I've never tried it myself, but if you want some detailed experiences, I think a guide to ingesting it, you should read the teachings of Don Juan, A Yaki Way of Knowledge by Carlos Castaneda. It is a book about a college student that starts training to become a Native American shaman. And to do so, he has to take a, a few different drugs, including detura and peyote. And if I remember it right, he details how he collected them and ingested them and writes detailed reports on his trips. Okay, let me comment on Colton's response. Um, most people um, don't consider the Carlos Castaneda stuff um, uh, factual sort of reference books, but it, they are fun to read. I've read, I've read um, A Yaki Way of Knowledge, which is probably the quintessential if you want to know about Jimson Weed. <laughs> Let's go to Anonymous, the next response. Jordan, first off, never do it. The problem with the tour is that it isn't regulated at all because it's made by nature. One seed can have a 20 times higher dose than another. You can get a dry mouth or end up in a mental institution for two weeks until you come down. This is my experience with one terrible drug. <clears throat> I was visiting a friend in Oregon. He had a house really deep in the woods. I had to hike for three hours just to reach it. Since I didn't have a dirt bike, which would probably be the only thing that could tra traverse a road to his house, when I reached the house at about seven, more, more like a cabin actually, I found it to be quaint. He had about four generators in the basement, which powered the cabin. He had somewhere around 70 full gas canisters in the shed by the steam out back. We went inside. I had no idea... I had no idea how he got a fridge out into the woods and still don't, but we had a frozen pizza for dinner. After dinner, we burned a couple bowls. Then he told me that he had some Jim, Jameson weed. <laughs> we divided it up between us and ingested it. I can usually remember drug trips pretty well, but this drug was totally different animal. We felt pretty good for about an hour. Then things started to get trippy. The walls were breathing. Objects seemed to be moving around. But after an hour of this, things started getting fucked up. The room was lit up by a single overhead light and a small light on a coffee table. I was soon scared at the light. It made me uneasy to look at it. Soon it started burning my eyes. I closed them, but it was still there, burning me, my friend told me. This must have been some shitty product, right? But his voice sounded like a demon and he couldn't stop talking. I couldn't hear the words he was saying anymore, but his demonic voice grew louder and louder. It was inside my head. I was crying because the light hurt so bad. 
I tried running out of the house, but perspective started violently shifting. I couldn't tell how tall I was, how big anything was, or how far away it was. I stumbled outside, puked all over myself. I couldn't even tell I was puking until I smelled it. I ran into the forest. My eyes were burning. They hurt so bad. I jumped into a stream and started splashing water into my eyes. But I noticed something was moving in the water, little parasitical worms. They started jumping up out of the water and burrowing into my skin, into my eyes. I felt them swimming around inside my body. I ran deep into the woods. Perspective was shifting so violently that I kept running into trees. I had a giant gash on my forehead. I felt the blood coming out. I saw a giant worm come out. So I started bashing my head against the tree as hard as I could to kill the worm, but it wouldn't die. I hit my head so hard that I fell to the ground with a concussion on the ground. I saw an extremely bright light floating through the woods, a demon with a flashlight starting to started talking to me with his demonic voice. I can't remember anything at all after this. I ended up, I ended waking up 10 days later in my friend's guest bedroom. I stayed at his house a few more days, then went home. What happened in those 10 days, according to my friend, was that he found me in the woods about an eighth of a mile away from his house after an hour of looking for me. He had to carry me back home where I started smearing blood from my forehead and drawing pictures on the wall. He had to tie me to a bed frame with my head facing down, hanging over the edge, so when I puked, it would be in a bucket. I was constantly screaming and babbling nonsense. I wouldn't eat for the next couple days. I shit my pants twice and pissed everywhere. I then went into a sort of a coma until I woke up a few days later, took a shower, helped clean up my poor friend's house, and went back to sleep, all of which I have no recollection of. Stay the fuck away from detour, man. So let's stop there. Um, so eating detour seeds is something um, I don't have any plans to do, but I figured uh, let's Google it. I want to learn more about these flying ointments. So I'm on another uh, Facebook group, and they seem to be a little bit more um, knowledgeable about that. So I'll, I'll come back to the um, – Detura ointment project that I have and uh, at this point I'm just letting the pods I'm not even touching the pod I'm just admiring it and um, the plant has been beautifully uh, medicinal just by looking at it and breathing with it so I love it. that's my trip report so far of Detura it's been nothing but pleasant and cool and I want to go further and I'm going to Keep my eye, keep my heart on on this plant. Let's read a little bit more. Um, reading uh, uses uses.plantnet-project.org, and they have something on Detura Mattel. Detura Mattel is native to the Americas and has been introduced from there throughout the tropics and subtropics. It is probably grown throughout tropical Africa as an ornamental. It is documented as a naturalized weed in many African countries, but it is probably seriously underreported. Uses. Detura metal and Detura stramonium have largely similar medicinal uses throughout the world. 
in tropical Africa as well as in Asia, the most widely documented use of the term Mattel is for relieving asthma, cough, tuberculosis, and bronchitis by smoking the dried leaves, roots, or flowers as a cigarette or in a pipe. These, quote, asthma cigarettes have been shown to be very effective in some cases, but in other cases they had little or no effect. Cigarettes made with the leaves are also used to tr treat Parkinson's disease. Widespread is also the use of different plant parts in various preparations for, dates for sedating patients with mental disorders. In Africa, other traditional uses of the leaves include treatment of hemorrhoids, boils, sores, skin diseases, rheumatism, headache, toothache, cholera, parasites, such as ringworm and guinea worm, and as an abortifacient and anesthetic. In Senegal, Guinea, Ghana, and Nigeria, cross leaves are applied as poultices on inflammatory swellings and rheumatic joints. In Ghana, a decoction of the leaves is used as eye drops to cure conjunctivitis and other eye complaints. In Nigeria, dried leaves are mixed with salt and pepper and burnt to treat asthma. In Ethiopia, the seed oil is used for massaging painful body parts. In Asia, Detura Mattel has similar medicinal applications and it is used additionally to treat hydrophobia, epilepsy, convulsion, syphilis, inflammation of the breasts, smallpox, mumps, and leprosy. Detura Mattel is also widely used as a pesticide. Seeds mixed with sorghum flour are used as a poison bait for rats. Plant extracts have also been successfully, successfully against caterpillar pests in forestry, cotton pathogens, and domestic vermin such as fleas and jigger, and to reduce insect damage in stored wheat and maize. They're useful to, to control the root knob nematode. Melodigine javanac. <laughs> in Tanzania, an extract made from the roots is sprinkled in-house to repel snakes. In Africa, Datura Mattel has ritual uses in many countries. Example, in initiation rites in Nigeria and Mozambique. Most commonly, the leaves are smoked or they are boiled and eaten. Seeds are similarly used. Roots, seeds, or leaves are added to alcoholic drinks to increase the intoxicating effect. Side effects include dry mouth and throat, eye pain, blurred vision, restlessness, dizziness, cardiac arrhythmia, flushing and faintness. An overdose, an overdose will cause headache, nausea, vomiting, and affect the central nervous system, causing symptoms including disorientation, hallucinations, euphoria, and inappropriate effect. Short-term memory loss and coma. The seeds are also used for criminal purposes, hospital admissions and fatalities, most often of alcoholic, of adolescents, are not uncommon. It is for this reason that several countries, including France, removed Detour cigarettes from the pharmacopoeia in 1992. Detour Mattel is commonly cultivated as an ornamental, particularly types with double flowers and purple flowers. In East Africa, the leaves are, are used to dye cloth green. 
In Ethiopia, the seed oil is rubbed into fresh hides as, the, as a first step in the curing process. So I read the first two sections of um, an internet entry on Detour Mattel. We read um, origin and geographic distribution and the uses. So I've been listening to myself talk a little bit more. I don't know if I'm going to stay with Detour. So I'm going to go ahead and take another break, and perhaps we'll come back to Detour or we'll move on to a new topic. So I will take five more minutes and I'll be back to resume the show. Okay, that's probably been more than five minutes. I wasn't keeping track. So I'm looking at my outline that I published on the Facebook uh, ad for the radio show and it says how I chose the wrong herbal school. So I'll just go ahead and begin by saying I attended uh, the Northwest Herb Symposium uh, in the past month, and it was a great four days. I showed up uh, on the first day when they had the intensives, and I took a really cool uh, intensive on mushrooms. I'll let you the just um, Christopher Hobbs with <laughs> Dr. Hobbs and. It was fun because I, there were very few um, men at the herbal conference, so we were all together in the same cabin, uh, with the exception of Paul Bergner, because he, he had his family with him, and he couldn't, he couldn't hang out with the guys. He, he was with his family. But, so it was a lot of fun each night. Uh, we could uh, decompress from all the classes and workshops we were in, and we just hang out together. And it's just a lot of fun to just hang out with other herbalists. And, one of the fondest memories I have is we're all just discussing, how do you do a cold infusion? And we all do it differently, and nobody does it wrong. And it was just a lot of fun just to go back and forth saying, yeah, well, I do it this way, and I do it this way. I was saying, um, I just always do a hot infusion first, and then I'll do a cold infusion. There's a whole bunch of herbalists that say, oh, no, to do it, you have to do the cold infusion. Um, right off the bat, but I've always um, done the hot infusion, either, even from marshmallow root, anything um, with the demulsion quality. So the other really fun thing that sticks out about the Urban Symposium was uh, the food. The food was so well made. And during the brouhaha online with um, people complaining about Susan Weed, I was reading the, um, some of the comment threads of why, why Susan Weed's a, a terrible person is she will freak out if the food at a symposium or something, I'm not saying freak out, but she'll protest loudly if the food is not up to good standards. And I think it's great that the herbalist community does have very high standards about food because the food at this symposium, I think the food plan for four days was $150. So it was quite a bit of money that we we're spending and they hired chefs and, um, it was laid out really, really beautifully. Um, I, I can't tell you, the, um, if you want to go to an, uh, an herb symposium, I, I can recommend the Northwest uh, Herb Symposium. I've been to a couple of other conferences, and I love them all. Um, the Green Gathering is um, a Northeast conference that happens maybe every five years. That's another herb conference to look out for. 
And then there's one, I believe it's coming up next year, and it's in Massachusetts, and it's called IHS. I think it's called the International Herb Symposium. And um, uh, Rosemary Gladstar, I believe, is one of the founding organizers of that conference, and that one is just the big one. That's the real big herb conference, and I believe that happens every two years. So they have two years' worth of planning, and they really put it on, you know, and I went to that in 2015 also. 2015 was a great year for me because that was the first year that I went to the Northwest Herb Symposium. And at the same year, I was able to go to the International um, Herbal Symposium. And, um, yeah, so, I, um, so yeah, if you want to find face-to-face teachers, uh, the, those conferences are just the greatest place to be able to meet so many different herb teachers but if you're stuck in a in an area you really have to try to really do due diligence um and find the people who live close to you so i've i've um been very unsuccessful doing that but when i first moved to this area i picked up someone hitchhiking and guess what they were a native healer and they told me all these native healing plants and they're very busy. They they really haven't dedicated much time to teaching me. But um, I have a car, and they don't have a car, so <laughs> it's kind of a fun exchange that they'll be able to teach me about herbs, and I can give them a ride to uh, where we, where we can go learn. And um, I'm I'm happy with this exchange that I've met with um, one of the native herb people who lived lived here a long time and know the plants a lot more than I do. Uh, other than that, online there is so much free material. Um, Matthew Wood is a great herbalist who gives out so much free material. And then he has a live class that you can attend once a month, like through a Skype or I'm trying to think of what they call it, a Zoom, uh, WebNX. There's a bunch of these conference things where herb teachers, real world-class herb teachers, do free classes. Susan Weed also has a mentorship program where she meets monthly on a teleconference with people who sign up for her mentorship program. I believe it's $110 a year, and Matthew Wood is $8 a month. So they're all around that area. If you want to have like a, a real live question and answer session with in an, in an online herbal classroom, the going rate's about you know eight or ten bucks a month. So that is a possibility. So how I chose the wrong herbal school. I went to the Pacific Rim College in 2012. Uh, that, that same year, I, I began a live-out apprenticeship with Susan Weed, and that was a more uh, face-to-face monthly program. Sometimes there were two sessions, and it was a, a weekend class where we learned a lot. And um, I just felt really antsy. And... Um, I kind of have regrets that I left uh, during the first year of the apprenticeship. I left in August, and we still had September, October, and November to go. I was told that um, all Susan's apprenticeships, or at least that live-out apprenticeship that she offered, I would come, I would be able to come back um, the following year and complete it. So, so off I went, all the way to the other side of the country, to um, Victoria. Uh, Vancouver Island, and I signed up for uh, the Pacific Rim College Community Herbalist Program. 
And it was basically just a real intense four-day-a-week classroom situation. It was mostly indoors, and I didn't really anticipate that there would be so much indoor stuff going on. So that's something you want to look into. You know, what kind of herb school do you want to go to? Do you want to go to one where there's mostly outdoor? And that's really where I was at, you know, at that time. I wanted more of an outdoor, outdoor thing. And um, so the one great thing, so I'll tell you the reason I couldn't complete the Pacific Rim College uh, Community Herbalist Program was I didn't understand their payment terms. Or maybe I purposely ignored their pay payment terms or I didn't, you know, so I really had to take responsibility for that. So the program was for September, October, November, and December, and I had to leave in mid-October, like barely a month into the program, maybe a month and a half into the program I, I was able to do, and um, so I didn't get uh, the last two months. And then I, you know, since I did sign the contract, I was fully, I was fully, um, financially liable to pay the full tuition, which was, I think at the time, three, $4,000. It was really expensive. And they were able to price it like that because they were, they were situated in a very expensive piece of real estate in downtown Victoria. They also have um, a funding line with the Canadian government where, you know, people are able to get their student loans and, and, you know, sort of, what we call Pell Grants in the United States to fund that type of training. So they were able to, um, they had plenty of seats and I took up one of their seats. So I was liable for the amount. And from what I see, our class was full, it, you know, so I'm pretty sure if you wanted to investigate the Pacific Rim College program, uh, you could probably go and audit some of their classes. And I would totally tell you to do that. But, Absolutely. I met one teacher who will stay with me for the rest of my life. So it was not at all a waste. And her name was Amanda Howe. And she taught the Materia Medica. And wow, I, you know, you just meet people and you don't forget them. And then I found out that, guess what? Amanda Howe also does a monthly face-to-face, -face, um, in-person, you know, uh, herb school. And Amanda Howe's uh, website, it looks like it's blackbearherb.com. So if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Amanda Howe, um, I always remember when she introduced us to Meadowsweet, how it was really personal to her. And she talked about how it's a strewing herb and it's from England. And it just has so much stuff going on with her because she's uh, a European she she began in Europe and she, she was a European herbalist and now she's a Vancouver Island herbalist in Cumberland and um, so that is something to check out I, I would totally want to give Amanda Howe um, some props because she she really whatever she gave me she transmitted something to me even though I was unable to complete the program and I still uh, hold on to all the Materia Medica notes from her class because it was that I normally am very much of a declutterer. No papers, no files, so I'll get rid of everything. But um, I love Amanda's Materia Medica that she provided. So I was told that I always have the option, since I did fin finally finish paying Pacific Rim College, to go back and complete the last two months. So I would never say never. 
and uh, perhaps um, my opportunity will, will, you know, an opportunity for me to go complete the two months of in training. It was a lot of clinical hours that I would be required to interview people and do the whole herbalist thing where I'm going to call people my patient and stuff. And that is not really the type of herbalist I want to be. I don't really feel comfortable calling anyone my patient. I'm just an herbalist who knows about stuff, and you can come to me and check out my twist on things. And perhaps I'm going to um, key you into something that you're not hearing from someone else. That I really don't look at myself like that. And I was listening to Susan's show in the past month, and she was talking about how she had she hung a shingle on her door, and she was an herbalist, and people would come to her all the time. And then when she was being upset by construction noise, she decided to go out and live in the woods. <laughs> I just love this story. So all these people that were constantly, you know, knocking on her door asking for herbalism help uh, suddenly reduced because all they needed to do was walk like a few hundred feet and say, yoo-hoo, and most of the people that wanted her help were not willing to walk um, one or 200 feet and to the dirt path and, and scream yoo-hoo to, for Susan to come and give them a consultation. And I, I just thought that was a fun because I don't know if I would like to really publicize myself like that and have people that don't really want to walk 200 feet to, and yell yoo-hoo to like that is a really interesting thing. So we're, we're coming back to um, intention and commitment. Like how, how much, how much do you want to get well? And a lot of times it's just our own, our own willingness just to be able to walk 200 feet and scream you who that will activate <laughs> the person who, who needs to help you. So it's like uh, asking for help, being able to, um, not have everything just thrown in your lap, that you have to go out and get it. And um, that was something I was catching up on a lot of Susan's shows because I, um, I was sort of like on a marathon a few, maybe a week or so ago trying to listen to several episodes. And I was curious whether the people who were giving all this guff online would, were going to call up Susan and, and ask her. Cause I'm like, well, Susan's totally accountable. You can call her up any Tuesday and – you don't have to just like post all this stuff in threads. But so speaking of that, I, I read Juliet Blanks for um, She put an opening thing saying Susan was charged with a misdemeanor. And I, from what I know about Susan Weed is uh, I don't have to defend Susan Weed. I do defend when, when people um, misrepresent what Susan says or writes. So there are two examples in my past where I felt the need to, to defend the things that Susan uh, writes and teaches about. Those two things was once it was back at Pacific Rim College and Paul Bergner came in on a weekend intensive and he announced to everyone that I think uh, comfrey leaf is poison and some, some herbalists have different attitudes and, and he just so mentions, oh, and Someone like Susan Weed has a completely opposite attitude about comfrey as me. She's on the complete other side of the spectrum. She would have a pregnant woman drink comfrey leaf infusion every day and uh, throughout her pregnancy. And I was like, I, I went up to Paul after the, um, I was like, I don't think Susan ever says to drink comfrey infusion consecutively day after day. 
And he's like, yes, yes, she does. Read about it in her books. And <laughs> there is one part of the book when Susan and uh, Susan says, uh, when you're nursing a fractured sprain, you may want to consider having a, cu a cup or a few sips of comfrey every day while you're in the early stages of healing a conference. But it had nothing to do with being pregnant. And, <laughs> and then when I, 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 I went and complained to Susan. I was like, Susan, where is this in your book? She's like, I don't tell anyone to drink any infusion on a consecutive basis. And um, so it's one of those things, I guess, technically, there is one part of one of her books that talks about nursing a, um, a fracture, that uh, comfrey may, a comfrey leaf infusion um, may help. Yeah, you know, it's like, wow. But um, it is, I I was really kind of disappointed with um, that wise woman group, Facebook group, because they were like shutting down real people who had real complaints and they had no right to, I felt like, who am I? I I've never ever wanted to moderate any kind of internet forum. I remember 20 years ago, there was this girl Heidi on the blood type diet uh, website and she was the quote, moderator, and um, there was another one named Steve, and um, those two, um, if you were not a complete fawning uh, sycophant to um, Dr. Peter Diodamo, then you were automatically, you know, um, deleted and, you know, and moderated against, and I think a lot of people um, are spicy, they say things online, but if they're a real person with a real picture and a real identity, let them go. That's what the Internet's all about. The one thing in Facebook and these type of social media situations I'm not comfortable with, and it's my line, is if, if you're using a sock puppet, meaning if you're just using some anonymous identity to talk shit, yeah, that, that, that does rub me wrong because you're, you're dehuman, dehumanizing yourself. And then you're saying things that aren't human. So I think um, it's important just to use, a, use one identity on one of these Facebook groups or the, uh, on any of these social media platforms. Just be one person. And if it says Facebook, it implies that you're going to put a face in your picture. So I see a lot of people putting anything but their face in their Facebook profile. And but I, I love hearing everybody. It was fun reading uh, Juliet Blankspore's uh, thread. And um, there's this one, most of the things were very, and they went the gamut that, oh, Susan Weed is a big diva. And she, she um, complains about the food at conferences. If, if it's not up to stand. I was like, yeah, yeah. So some of the things that they were complaining about, Susan, I was like cheering about but there's this one comment that was just absolutely fun. And I just, it, it wasn't exactly positive, but it was. So it was um, someone named Tina Finney Frock. And I, maybe Tina Finney Frock, that's her only identity. Who knows? But she, it appears that this is a real person. She's like, having gone to Susan's place five to six times 30 years ago, and read all her early books, I never once picked up the idea to only rely on intuition. Uh, her six steps of healing includes medical mode slash interventions and are actually a very science orderly way to approach illness. Developing intuition and totally relying on it are two different things. Whether she got more oriented that way in later years, I have no idea. However, there are students who will take what a teacher says and make it their own. 
misinterpret it, and I imagine many of her students go out and promote pretty wacky, dangerous stuff. Most of us who teach have had to deal with such students. I interpreted the wise woman approach the way Susan at the time taught it, that all can be included in the healing process, from esoteric things to surgery. There was not one class I attended, however, one where she was not even there, but her then husband was, where there was not some sort of weird unpleasantness. <laughs> weird unpleasantness, yeah. So I thought that was just really wonderful and honest and it was in a thread where people were just spouting so much stuff and I was like have you ever met Susan Weed in person you know that was my opinion of most of the things that I've read you know have you ever spent a lot of time there or at her house or how many did you go to an intensive at one of these herb conferences and uh, or did you just uh um Attend, attend, you know, because you can go see Susan Weed teach a casual class at a bookstore, or you can go do a, a female shamanic apprenticeship with her. And there's just a, a range of experiences that Susan Weed offers you. And uh, you don't have to go into um, a full-blown intensive um, to um, use her and, and love her. You know? But I just wanted to um, somehow say that, yeah, I don't have to defend Susan Weed. She's who she is. And, but I felt the need those two times to um, defend. Oh, and the other time was there used to be uh, an herbal abortion website, and they, they had all this stuff that they were saying, and they were saying it's in Susan Weed's book. And I was like, I, at that point, I didn't even really um, – I think I might have wrote one letter to the website, and then I, then I just printed it and, and sent it to um, – Susan and, or Justine, you know, just to say, hey, there's this website that's representing Susan and saying this stuff is from Susan's books, and it doesn't quite jive. So that's um, those were the two instances where I felt, oh, wow, I need to. But that Facebook wise woman, Susan Weed wise woman group, it, there is there. You know, a lot of the negative comments were so right on. They were like, yeah, it, there's a total cult of personality that if you're not fawning and, and just like totally in love with everything about um, the wise woman tradition and everything. You know what I mean? Like they were editing it and leaving in only fawning comments and it's like just let it rip. If you, if you, if you want a, a, a comment thread, just let it rip and don't feel the need to keep um, editing people out. So I wanted to personally invite some of the people that I was reading um, in the threads to come on and talk on the show. So if you're listening to it or if any of the people who are listening to it, please send me an email at peoplesmedicineshow at gmail.com. I will reschedule this show. If I, if I knew that there was a few people that wanted to call in at some time, I would reschedule this show to another part of the week. So Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern is not a rigid um, requirement for me to do this show. I can do this show monthly at any time during the week, except I suppose Tuesday at 7.30. <laughs> but um, any other time, I, I would imagine, yeah, Wednesday through Monday, you can um, tell me, let's do it that day. And it would be fun to get some more callers into the show. So I haven't even looked at if I'm, if I even have any callers on this show. Let me see. Um, 
Okay. No, nobody's calling in. So the next thing that I thought I'd, it would be fun to talk about is at the Northwest Herbal Symposium, one of the dishes that they served was this spicy eggplant. And it was an unusual spiciness. And everybody was like freaking out going, what is this flavor? And it was numbing on our mouth. And they were like, it's almost like they, they, they flavored it with echinacea. <laughs> So we were all just laughing about the echinacea eggplant. So I think I'm going to take a little break. I've been talking. I want to stop listening to myself talk for a little while. So I'm going to take five minutes, and I'm going to come back and, and talk about the echinacea, echinacea eggplant story. Okay, I'm back, and I adjusted my microphone, so perhaps I sound a little bit clearer and less muffled. I really want to get better with this radio producing work. So I got myself a Zoom microphone, which is really good for making voice recorder tapes uh, with my Apple iPhone buzz marketing. But um, yeah, I'm not really um, sure if the iPhone or the Android is a better phone, but I'm using the iPhone now. <laughs> this uh, microphone was uh, only usable for the uh, Apple phone and microphone is Zoom, X-O-O-M. So if anyone wants to help me uh, get better technically with doing the show, I'd love some help. Um, so let's get back to the echinacea eggplant story. So everybody, we're, you know, I was talking about how the, after the day we would uh, come back to the cabin and hang out at night and talk and we're like, what, what was up with that eggplant? And it's just a lot of fun hanging out with herbalists that we all have really uh, excellent taste buds and we're into, we're into tasting. And um, we, we, none of us really could uh, pinpoint what was going on with the flavor and um so we finally, um, I, I was, oh yeah, and then I was saying, it wasn't black pepper, because I was, I was complimenting that all the chef's food at this symposium was great, and even though I tried some of the vegan selections, and usually I can't stand vegan food because they like kill it with black pepper, and I kind of have the whole uh, anti-black pepper thing. And the only two herbalists I know who are anti-black pepper are like Susan Weed and Ryan Drum. And Ryan's got a great like rap, and I think you could read about it on his website, where he talks about how like the um, pathway of black pepper and how it could be an irritant to some. It's almost like an impediment, <laughs> and. Maybe I read that on the radio show or before, or maybe I'll read it again next month, but it's a lot of fun how he, and he has a, a number of case studies where people were in a real bad inflammatory state and they, they were eating too much black pepper. So I've actually gone the other way where I don't like it at all. A um, couple times a year, I'll eat some Southern fried chicken and something like that. I think it probably absolutely needs some black pepper to make it Southern fried chicken. So I understand there are certain recipes. You're not making that recipe unless you use some black pepper in it. But I generally don't cook with it myself. I'm more into the turmeric, ginger, and garlic uh, trio. That's my favorite um, cooking trio of spices lately. I use tons of uh, powdered turmeric. And then I'll 
I'll do almost like two parts turmeric, one part ginger, you know, and, you know, half to one part garlic. And I use kind of dried granulated garlic and powdered uh, ginger and powdered turmeric. So I, I like, well, I have to go ask them about the black pepper. <laughs> and uh, anyway, no, I was like, well, I don't have to ask them about black pepper because they weren't, they weren't over pepper in the food, but I do have to go check it out. I'll, I'll go confront them tomorrow. And they laughed, the whole room laughed because I just went on this black anti-black pepper rant. And I was like, I'm going to go confront them about this, this mysterious eggplant pepper. So it was really a, a pleasant interaction the next day. Um, they were packing up and they made to go bags for everybody. <clears throat> and they get beautiful sandwiches and some, a uh, vegan sandwich, and then they had a, a non-vegan sandwich, and there were there was some left over, so I I got one of each. So um, so they were packing up their food truck, and the symposium was over, and I went up, and they were like, you know, you're like the 20th person who's asked about the eggplant, and the answer is Szechuan pepper, not. So it is really kind of fun though, and so that led me down this thing where I'm like, oh wow. There's um, three kinds of pepper when you think about it. There's Szechuan pepper. And let me read some of the things about um, Szechuan pepper. Yeah, let's... Oh, wow. Okay. There's chili pepper, Szechuan pepper, and then black pepper, which is in the kava family. So, xanthylum is a kind of pepper... Uh, so, xanthylum. It's a genus of about 250. I'll wait. One more. Here we go. I was looking for my Skype username, so my uh, Google searches got all, all mixed together. Um, we have chili pepper, uh, Szechuan pepper, and then um, xanthylum. So, um, okay, Sichuan pepper, commonly used in spice in Chinese cuisine. It is derived from at least two species of the global genus Xan, Xanthoxylum, Xanthoxylum, Z. simulans, and Z. bonganium. The genus Xanthoxylum, Xanthoxylum belongs in the rue or citrus family. So we're dealing with three entirely different plant families with the three different peppers. And despite its name, it's not closely related to either black pepper nor the chili pepper. So we're, and um, so, yeah, so that was the mysterious mouth-numbing uh, answer to the, what's on this eggplant? It's, and it was like, we're not saying it was delicious, but it was it was good. You know, <laughs> like what is it? It was like a different spice, and I really love having a, a wide, varied diet. And it is exciting to always try new foods and to you know mix it all up. I think the there's a deep human need that we need novelty, and we really want to we want to be dealt the full deck of cards. And some of the and some of the cards are. Um, 
better than others, but um, we play them, you know, just play through the deck. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. I keep, keep getting the same hand. But, um, yeah, so at the um, Herbal Conference, somebody was talking about, like, madness. And I, I don't know. I look at that. The madness is like a card that everyone's dealt. Maybe some people go their whole lifetime and they're never dealt the madness card. But it's, it's no matter how you play it. Some people hold it. Some people hide it. Some people bluff it. Some people fold the whole game. Or some people discard it. <laughs> you know, so there's a, a lot of ways to play it when, when you're dealt the madness card. And um, he was happy about that. You know, that, yeah, oftentimes throughout a lifetime, we're dealt several hands. And madness, the madness card doesn't have to be in every hand we're dealt. <laughs> some, somehow it made sense when I was talking to him. So the Xanthosylum is... Um, Citrus or root family, let me just see. Um, so the, the Szechuan pepper, oh shoot. Okay, so Szechuan pepper, let's see. Uh, known as the Chinese Huajiao, lesser name is Shanjiao, is not to be confused with Tasmanian mountain pepper. Huh. Let's see what this is. Maybe we have four peppers. Tasmania lanceolata, commonly known as mountain pepper, Cornish pepper leaf, shrub to the... Hey, guess what? We got a fourth pepper, and it's in the Winteraceae family, a primitive family of tropical trees and shrubs. 60 to 90 species in five genera. See, a Winteraceae, that's something, I guess it's an Australian thing. Uh, it, it's one of them new plant families that I really don't have any um, connection or association with. So, yeah, here we go again. So you're getting to hear me um, find out about more plant families that I didn't even know about. So I'm sure there's some Winteraceae plants around me. I just have to look for them. Um, so the other... Um, Pepper, the chili pepper is kind of cool too. Um, here we go with the new world. I was talking about the book Indian Givers um, from Jack Weatherford, 1988. And he was talking about how like all these new world plants like tobacco and chilies, um, they went global in a very short period of time. And um, you look at Southeast Asian cuisine and how chili peppers are all over the and even Africa seems to like have taken taken ownership over some of these new world plants. Like we were talking about the Tura Mattel before, how it's a common weed that's growing all over Africa. It's like a you know, so it is kind of fun that these new world plants, you know, they invade other places. And someone told me that the meaning of aloha means um, all everybody. You know, like. The Hawaiian um, philosophy is there is no invasive species. Everything is aloha. You know, it becomes. You know, the island just absorbs it. And uh, I love that. You know, when they, you don't consider things that exist in other parts of the world as oh, that's going to pollute our um, our our genes. You know, <laughs> and uh, for example. For example, the chili pepper has really been embraced throughout the world. So I'm going to read a little bit about the chili pepper. Um, and here we go. 
uh, chili pepper, the genus capsicum, members of the nightshade family, Solanaceae. Chili peppers are widely used in many cuisines to add spiciness to dishes. The substances that give chili pepper their intensity when ingested or applied topically are caps, capsaicin and related compounds known as capsaicinoids. Huh. Chili peppers originated in Mexico after the Colombian exchange. Many cultivars of chili peppers spread across the world, used for both food and traditional medicine. World in 2014, 32 million tons of green chilies and 3.8 million tons of red of dried chili pep of dried chili peppers were produced. China is the world's largest producer of green chilies, providing half of the global total. So, and we can also um, read a little bit about black pepper. I don't think I believe black pepper is not a new world plant. So. Let's see, um, black pepper. Black pepper is a flowering vine in the family Piperaceae, cultivated for its fruit, which is usually dried and used as a spice or seasoning, known as peppercorn. When, when fresh and fully mature, it is about five millimeters in diameter and dark red. It contains a single seed like all droops. Peppercorns and the ground pepper derived from may be described simply as pepper, or more precisely as black pepper, cooked and dried on ripe fruit, green pepper, dried on ripe fruit, and white pepper, ripe fruit seeds. Black pepper is native to Kerala in southwestern India and is extensively cultivated there and elsewhere in tropical regions. Vietnam is the world's largest producer and exporter of pepper, producing 34% of the world's pepper nigrum crop as of 2013. Dried ground pepper has been used since antiquity, both for its flavor and its traditional medicine. Black pepper is the world's most traded spice and is one of the most common spices added to cuisines around the world. Its spiciness is due to the chemical piperine not to be confused with capsaicin characteristics of chili peppers. It is ubiquitous in the modern world as a seasoning and is often paired with salt. So um, let's uh, read a little bit more now about mountain pepper or Cornish pepper leaf, UK. So in Australia, they call it mountain pepper. UK calls it Cornish pepper leaf. It is a shrub native to woodlands and cool temperate forests of southeastern Australia. The shrub varies from two to 10 meters high. The aromatic leaves are lanceolate to narrow elliptic or oblanceolate. <laughs> Four to 12 centimeters long and 0.7 to two centimeters wide and with a distinctly pale undersurface. Stems are quite red in color, the small cream or white flowers appear in summer or followed by black globus, two-lobed berries, which appear in autumn. They are separate male and female plants. Originally described by French botanist Jean-Louis Marie Poet, it gained its current name in 1969 by A.C. Smith. It had been known for many years as Drimmy's Lancelota. 
also known as Tasmanian pepperberry. It is found from Tasmania northwards through Victoria to Barrington Tops in New South Wales. It's, it is found in gullies in rainforest. Very cool. So uh, let's see, used in colonial medicine as a substitute for winter's bark, a stomach. It was also used to treat, in treating scurvy. Mountain pepper is one of a number of native Australian herbs and food species being supported by the Australian native food industry which brings together producers of food species from all parts of Australia. The pepperberry can be used as a fish poison. <laughs> Let's read more. The leaf and berry are used as a spice, typically dried. Malcolm pepper was used as a colonial pepper substitute. More recently, it has become popularized as bush food condiment. It can be added to curries, cheeses, and alcoholic beverages. It is exported to Japan to flavor wasabi. The berries are sweet at first with a peppery aftertaste. Dried teeth lanceolata berries and leaves have strong antimicrobial activity against food spoilage organisms. It is also high, also has high antioxidant activity. Low saffroclonal sections are grown in plantations for commercial use, as saffron is considered a low-risk to toxin. So that is kind of cool that uh, it's uh, saffron is the plant constituent, I believe, that gives it its uh, hot peppery taste. So yeah, so we have an Australian pepper also. So that's kind of cool that uh, right here live on the air, I learned that there are four kinds of peppers and there's probably gonna be more. And if you wanna um, communicate with me, my name is Sean Mernin, S-E-A-N, M-U-R-N-I-N. You can find me on Facebook. I usually post when I'm doing these radio shows a day or two before on my public Facebook feed. And you can also message me through Facebook using that spelling of my name. If you want to communicate by email, um, the address is peoplesmedicineshow at gmail.com. So I talked about the four peppers. I'm going to talk a little bit about cannabis, but I'm going to take a few minutes and I will be back soon. Okay, I'm back. So it's funny, there's a humongous uh, housefly that's buzzing around, so it'll be kind of fun if they zoom in on this extra sensitive microphone and get to, if the housefly comes by to say hello to the show. So I wanted to talk a little bit about cannabis and tell you a little cannabis rabbit hole that I went through. Um, this is just in a planting stage. Someone sent me some seeds that were um, gourmet cannabis seeds, and they weren't high CBD, but they were um, pretty moderately high THC. But more importantly, it's um, just a rich uh, yielding plant. So the label on the seeds was called uh, RQS critical rqs critical and I, I went online and i found a, a seed catalog called royalqueenseeds.com and they list a, a, a strain called critical so i'm going to read about this critical strain and then i'm going to read some go through the catalog and read some of the high cbd strains so critical there are always lots of requirements to fill when deciding which strain to grow. Strength, yield, flavor, ease of growth, suitability to climate, etc. 
there is one marijuana plant that tries to bring together all these features in a perfect balance in order to produce the ultimate cash crop. <laughs> uh, a very complete strain. There are always lots of requirements to fill when deciding which strain to grow. Strength, yield, flavor, ease of growth, suitability to climate, etc. Um, okay, I, I already read that. <laughs> but let's go. Um, Okay, ultimate cash crop, large yield, short flowering periods, good smoke. Critical is a plant designed for the cash crop grower who wants the best of both worlds and is guaranteed to fulfill expectations. Our critical plant is an indica-dominant genetic, which shows in its small size, staying below one meter tall. It has a short internode spacing which will eventually fill up with buds, making it the high-yielding specimen it is. And its small height also makes it suitable for those who are looking to grow in small spaces. For the more discreet growers, it says good yield in just seven weeks. Grown indoors, it will average 65 to 75 grams per plant and can easily hit 600 grams per square meter under 600 watts, under a 600-watt light. Grown outdoors, it prefers a warmer climate such as Spain, Italy, or California, and given the right conditions, will produce over 100 grams per plant. Due to its relatively short flowering time, it can be grown in more northern latitudes, UK and Netherlands. However, it will not reach its full potential as she would indoors. No other plant from Royal Queen Seeds will yield as much in seven weeks as critical feminized. This short flowering time makes it suitable for growers with a tight schedule. Commercial growers will be pleased with the results in C-screen of green operations as it, as it delivers large yields with very little maintenance. Relaxing and stoned effect. The final key to a good commercial crop is a solid smoke. It wouldn't make, it wouldn't make sense to have such a high-yielding plant with no power in the puff. Therefore, we are glad to say that Critical offers just as much in the stone as it does in the yield. It brings a nice stoned effect, which mellows you down into a relaxed vibration. So that I'm reading from on the Royal Queen Seeds uh, seed catalog, uh, and the strain is called Critical. And I believe it's a feminized strain. So you buy one of these seeds, and you guarantee a female seed. And many of these seed companies, they guarantee it. If you call them up and say, uh, I bought three seeds and two, only two of them were girls, they'll, they'll, they'll make it right. So I don't know about this company, but I've, I've, I've had um, the pleasure to work with other companies who guarantee that their seeds are good. Um, let's read a little bit more about some of the CBD seeds that Royal Queen Seeds uh, provides. Now, the uh, CBD seeds are a little bit more expensive, and they should be because um, CBD is now a very expensive um, plant constituent. I heard somewhere that a kilogram of isolated CDB, CDBA is going for like $30,000. So CBD is a pretty valuable. Uh, CBD cannabis is becoming a real valuable, valuable plant. Um, I'm talking to people that live in legalized marijuana states, and there's just so much marijuana now that people are just giving away court jars of old buds. They're like, oh, the new stuff is going to be ready in a few weeks. Here, have some of, old, have some of last year's, and it's fine. 
<laughs> so they're basically giving away weed in many of these states where it's legalized and not just for medical purposes, just straight up legalized for adults over 18. So let's uh, read a little bit more about some of the medicinal C uh, CBD strains that uh, Royal Queen Seeds uh, pro uh, is offering. This one's called Fast Eddie Automatic. And when, when it's an automatic strain, from, from my understanding, it's always um, interbred with a ruderalis, which is sort of a land strain of cannabis that uh, automatically goes into flower no matter how long the life cycle is. So I'm going to read um, Fast Eddie, combining cheese times Juanita Lagrimosa times ruderalis. Fast Eddie is a rapid-growing, flavorful, and CBD-rich auto strain that we have bred with a lot of love and care. Expect her to go from seed to harvest in eight to nine weeks, produce generous yields, and induce a clear, mellow, and most importantly, functional high. So let's um, look at this. Okay, so the THC for this, um, see, so the last strain that I uh, talked about was a high THC uh, plant, and that was 18% it was rated as. This one here, the THC is only rated as 9%, and then the CBD is, level, is rated as very high. And from what I understand, when you combine a high CBD level with a, a, mid, you know, a lower mid-range THC, you barely feel hot. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get that intense, I'm stoned feeling from CBD weed, even if you're smoking it. So this is my experience, and I just wanted to... Uh, you can uh, ask me or check your own mileage on what I'm, I'm claiming to tell you, that CBD somehow makes pot less stony and less, um, less, less crazy. And I'm very prone to being overstimulated. So that's I'm just going to say um, the CBD strains are something I'm very interested in in incorporating into my own use of cannabis. So let's read about another CBD strain. This is the one that I see most attracted to. It's not an automatic, so it does not have any of the ruderalis uh, interbred into it. And it's called Royal Highness, another feminized cannabis strain from Royal Queen Seed Selection of Medical. Royal Highness is a cross of respect in dance hall. Respect is a cross of Juanita Lagrimosa, the high CBD strain and cantaloupe haze. So this one is 17.5. Uh, Let's see, I'll, I'll check to see if they have a US pricing. No, so it's only um, European pricing. So 17 and a half pounds for three of these seeds. And I'm like, ooh, um, that's probably like almost $30 probably on US. So $10 per seed for Royal Highness. The best thing that I found out about this um, cannabis catalog is they have a whole section of companion plants. So they have Cerastium Royal, uh, Sunflowers, Marigolds, Alfalfa, Red Clover, Cherville, White Clover, Peppermint, uh, Lavender, Coriander, Chamomile, Yarrow, uh, Dill, Lemon balm, sweet basil, borage. Then they have a Royal Guardians Biopack, 
So basically the idea with uh, companion planting is, um, yeah, give, give the pest something more yummy to eat than the cannabis. And you're, you're going to use a lot less um, of these methods that you have to use to um, keep the bugs off your plant. And I'm really disappointed to hear a lot of people really ruin the flavor of their cannabis by using these organic pesticides like neem oil and stuff. And I could tell, you give me a, a weed that was treated with neem oil and not, and I'll tell you which one it was treated because it, it definitely ruins the flavor. But I've heard many growers say, no, you won't taste any of the neem oil on my plants. But so I just wanted to bring that up that um, uh, companion planting is important if you want to grow some really good outdoor cannabis without um, using any pesticides, whether they're organic or synthetic. My favorite pesticide would probably be ladybugs. <laughs> I do not want to use any pesticides. Just let the pests eat what they can, and I'll eat what's left over. Um, but, you know, when it comes to feeding the world, pesticides is just a fact of life. And uh, we're, we're all going to, you know, make, make a difference when we, the more food that we can grow for ourselves and um, the more organic food that we buy, we're creating a market for more organic pesticide-free food. But that is a tricky situation because even food that's labeled organic has approved pesticides that they use. Um, other than that, I think we're almost ready to finish the show, but I, I mentioned on this other outline for the show that I was like, let's talk about dialectical behavior therapy. And I first heard about this from Pete Davidson, and he was being interviewed on the Mark Marin of What the Fuck podcast, WTF podcast. So if you want to hear uh, Pete Davidson's story, it's really a good, good episode. It was several months ago, and it's still in my head. So that's how you know it's a good episode. So this is what I do. What for my monthly show, if I'm still thinking about something that I heard about, hey, I'm going to save it for my show. So Pete Davidson's interview is really helpful. It gave him, again, he was someone who was using too much cannabis, and he, he was using it in a way that was almost like a drug. And he said he went and got help. He, got, he, said that he had to go to a rehab to stop using the cannabis, whatever, and, um, you know, where he was put away for 30 days in a, in a locked room and no, you can't smoke any pot. And he came out with a diagnosis of um, borderline personality disorder. So, and then he said he's using this therapy called dialectical behavior therapy. So I was like, you know, I put it on all it on the back burner. It sounded really interesting at the time though. So I wanted to make sure that I uh, read a little bit more about, okay. So let's uh, just read some of the basic things. What is borderline personality? Borderline personality, also known as emotionally unstable personality disorder, is a long-term pattern of abnormal behavior characterized by unstable relationships with other people, unstable se sense of self, and unstable emotions. There is often dangerous behavior and self-harm. People may also struggle with a feeling of emptiness and fear of abandonment. Symptoms may be brought on by seemingly normal events. The behavior typically begins by early adulthood and occurs across a variety of situations. Substance abuse, depression, and eating disorders are commonly associated with BPD. 
approximately 10% of the people affected die by suicide. Um, so that is the basic, uh, that's the Wikipedia uh, first paragraph of borderline personality disorder. I was looking at this other uh, medical website and they were talking about unwanted pregnancy, <laughs> I think is, is one of the symptoms of people with borderline personality disorder. And that's pretty wild. Um, I'm trying to think if I can even find that reference. So that, also, that might also be in the Wikipedia entry where they talk about unwanted pregnancy is like, wow, you know, it's just one of the symptoms, but mostly in the relationship game where people fluctuate between hate and love and um, just extreme emotionalness. I actually took a, uh, an online questionnaire to see if I had borderline personality disorder. And I answered yes to a couple of the questions and they were like, no, you have very little indication that you may have it, but who knows, maybe I'm just a uh, real devious and I'm hiding my BPD. But um, I was really, you know, I, I have been emotionally unstable in my life, but I, I don't know if it's categorized all my relationships. And I think that there is a bunch of criteria where you get to qualify to be a, a borderline personality disorder. I heard somebody in one of the um, threads, too, that were um, sort of halfway defending, I think it had to do with the Sean Donahue and the person that they were in a relationship with, and they were talking about how there's some people that go through these herbalists, there's, they're all over the place, and all the herbalists are like, be, be afraid of that student, <laughs> you know, and um, it is kind of tough, you know, because I, I don't know who to believe and who, who not to believe, and if you're, if you're criminal against a student or if you're criminal against a teacher, you know, you really should be pressed charges for it. If people are hurting each other in the herbalist community, you have to use the police and you have to report it and put it in writing and make official reports. You can't, you can't just talk about it like a gossip and then say, oh, well, that person's just a missing step. That, oh, people are warned about it, but that's not, you know, so all this stuff coming out that some people vehemently dislike Susan Wien, I think in the most part, it's very helpful because we have to be aware that, hey, this is not, this is not kosher. If we're uh, letting things slide that aren't supposed to be letting slide. Uh, but Pete Davidson um, also mentions, oh, wow, I've got three minutes left. But he said he's got his borderline personality under control from dialectical behavior therapy. So I just wanted to put that out there that um, this is a really cool thing. This is cognitive behavior therapy, but it's more evidence-based. So let me look at, let me read a little bit of it. Dialectical behavior therapy is an evidence-based psychotherapy designed to help people suffering from borderline personality disorder. It has also been used to treat mood disorders as well as those who need to change patterns of behavior that are not helpful such as self-harm, suicidal ideation, and substance abuse. This approach works towards helping people increase their emotional and cognitive regulation by learning about the triggers that lead to reactive states and helping to assess which coping skills to apply in the sequence of events, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to help avoid undesired reactions. DBT assumes that people are doing their best 
but lack the skills needed to succeed or are influenced by positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement that interferes with their ability to function appropriately. So that is the first introduction of dialogue. And I'm going to give it back to Jack White. Uh, someone sent me some music, so please uh, send me some music, send me some YouTube links, and um, I'll play them on this show. Um, if, you, if there's like a segment of a YouTube that you want me to play on the show, that would be kind of cool. So I'm going to try to come back next month, and maybe I'll have more YouTube links. Jack White's the only thing I had available that uh, someone sent me, and I love it. And I'll um, be talking to you all next month. I'm going to let Jack White play us out. <laughs>